All right, everybody, welcome to Unseized at Rainforest 2015. Um, we're delighted that you've come out to join us on this uh, Saturday night, is it's, it? It's Saturday, yes. It is Saturday. Well done. All right. Uh, I have successfully calendared. Um, thank you all. Thank you all for coming. We're delighted to have this audience of thousands and thousands of people here in front of us. Um, I can't see the end of it back there. <laughs> so allow me to introduce myself and our panelists. Panelists, my co-host and our guest, I guess. I'm not sure what the correct terms are anymore. I'm Kyle Gold. Hi, I've been doing this podcast for a number of years now. And uh, Rain First was the first place that we did this podcast. Um, they were the, that we did it live, I should say. We'd been doing it sort of in our... Um, secret mountain bunker for uh, for a few weeks. And we contacted Rainforest and said, hey, can we talk in front of microphones in front of an audience of people at your convention? And they said, sure, that sounds like fun. Um, little did they know. Uh, Rainforest is also where the, the legendary bucket of wine originated, um, for those of you familiar with the podcast. Um, KM and the later not, rehab clinic. <laughs> KM, no, the rehab <laughs> clinic was a different convention. Um, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> uh, I'm so I'm delighted to be back here at Rainforest, and delighted that all you guys are here, and delighted to be here with my esteemed, lovely co-host. Not Tube. <laughs> no, not Tube. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm not Tube. <laughs> I'm it here gets because it's funnier of... every time you say it. <laughs> For me, it does. <laughs> Go ahead. Awkward silence. No, um, it doesn't work on a hi. podcast. So it well. doesn't. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ryan Campbell, aka Not Tube, just because I don't like that nickname anymore. And please stop calling me it. <laughs> Which nickname, Ryan Campbell? No, Not Tube. Oh, I mean Tube. <laughs> <laughs> stop <laughs> confusing me, Fox. <laughs> I don't know. You're a dragon. I don't think I have to do that much work. Yeah, but when it was tube, I was an otter, and it didn't work out. Yeah, that's right. Otters but, are But now you do work out, obviously. Plainly, yes. Mm -hmm. Check them out, yo. No. <laughs> All right, I'm too embarrassed to continue now. <laughs> this is the first time on Cheetah's had a gun show. <laughs> uh, anyway, we have, we have another esteemed guest with us today, first time on the podcast. Uh, I will allow him to introduce himself. I am White Yodi, and I also work out, but I'm sitting on that. Um, I've written a bunch of things, um, Heat and Fang and Roar and I don't know, 20 other some odd books that I can't even keep track of. And uh, I'm very happy to be here. I'm the virgin to the podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> and uh, thank you for graciously Not after inviting tonight. me. tonight. <laughs> 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 um, so... The, uh, the way we, we often do this is we just start talking about what we've been doing at this convention so far. So, like, at least uh, you, have, you have a story in a thing that's coming out here, right? Uh, two or stories. I got Will of the Alpha 2, um, BDSM Anthology, and uh, Dungeon Grind, which is pretty much how it sounds. Okay. Um, both adult <laughs> books, both from Fur Planet, and uh, they've both been selling pretty well from what I hear. Cool. Um, Ryan is actually uh, outdoing me at this convention by having two books released at the convention to my one. 
So I will let him talk about his two books, and then I will talk about my one. Yeah, so generally it's like not advisable from a marketing standpoint to release two books at the same time because you can really only engender so much enthusiasm for one at a time. But Koa of the Drowned Kingdom sold out today, so tomorrow Woo. I can focus on uh, Forest Gods. <laughs> um, Koa is um, it's, it's just a novella, um, but I'm, I'm happy with it. I really like the world that it's set in. I'm planning to write more books uh, in that world probably novel length because um, we writers tend to do that. <laughs> they get longer and longer until someone says, no, stop that. Like, no one ever did that for J.K. Rowling. No one ever did it for George R. R. Martin. I, I, should, I should add the caveat. I think that people did do that, but not past a certain point in their careers. Right. Stephen, yes. Stephen yes, King yes, yes. also. Uh huh. No. So once you start making enough money selling your books, the people who are saying, "Um, maybe this is a little bit too long," like they just get quieter and quieter and quieter because they're drowned out by the sound of money falling into a <laughs> bank. Um. So that's my goal. Please put money into my bank, and I will continue writing longer books. <laughs> um. Code the Drowned Kingdom is um. Uh, little novella set in a giant mangrove swamp in uh, roughly Indonesia, part of the world, imaginary world with magic. And uh, Forest Gods is a sequel to God of Clay. Um, I'm writing God of Fire right now. And um, I'm, I love this series. It's going to break my heart when I can't write in it anymore. But yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you a secret. You, because I'm, and I'm speaking as someone who is ending two series within two months of each other next year, um, you don't have to stop writing in them. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just putting that, I know, I know right now you feel like you're coasting down a, a hill and that there's gonna be this like level ground at the bottom and you're gonna lose momentum, but. I've been thinking about it and the problem is the way that the next book will end, it's, it's gonna be really, really hard. It'd be like, Remember when Douglas Adams wrote Mostly Harmless and he was just like, the universe is over now. Like, <laughs> yeah. So none of you can pester me to write another book in this universe anymore. It's, it's a little bit like that, except that I want to keep writing in it. But you have so many rich side characters in there that you could totally write a book about some of the other gods you introduce or about some of the other cultures. Adonko or... is very popular, even though his book just came out today. He's still very popular. And, yeah. Uh, um, um, like you can, you've introduced enough history that you could write a book about some of the historical things that happened, um, and I mean, all I'm that, that's all I'm saying is you can feel sad. This is what he's doing to my arm right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, I say that as someone who, who, as I said, is uh, in January of next year, the fifth book in the Out of Position series, which will conclude that story arc will be released um, and that is not the end of the stories in that world with those characters. It's so, just tough because they die in a blank. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Just because you're in my writing group doesn't mean you can spoil my books for everyone. <laughs> it's okay because Everyone's so quiet because they're scared I was telling the truth. <laughs> Just don't tell them. Don't tell them that their kid survives. That's all. Um, Someone asked me last night for a, it was Kits actually. He asked me for a offensive term for impreg, and I, I suggested reproduction. Like, 
Oh my god, that's terrible. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. What, reproduction? Okay, so that's cool. So, so my one little book that came out this, uh, this convention was is called Losing My Religion. It is a novella about a bisexual coyote who plays guitar in an REM cover band uh, who are out on tour playing a bunch of dinky little clubs and he is trying to cope with the new configuration of relationships in the band which include his best friend being married to the lead singer and their bassist having gone and been replaced by this new guy he doesn't know much about and who doesn't seem to know much about anything else. Um, he uh, He's... So there's, there's like, you don't, somebody asked me, do you have to know all the works of REM in order to appreciate this book? No. I mean, it helps. It gives it a little more depth. It gives you, because I, I toss stuff in there, like certain songs at certain times are significant. Um, all the chapter headings are REM song titles. Um, the font of the book was partially designed by Michael Stipe. That's so, so cool, The font by of the, the chapter headings. Yeah, is, it's yeah. really cool. <laughs> which, I, which I was... Uh, you know, in love. No with. one will notice it, but the disciples. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, no not that's, what, that's not what REM fans are called. Yes, it is. Is it? No, yes, this is a real thing. Yes, they call themselves disciples. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> um, anyway, did I, did I say too much? <laughs> you haven't said enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, if you knew REM songs, you got that joke. Um, Here's me in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> One of the people out here is in the spotlight. Um, so anyway, it's uh, the cupcakes have been a lot of fun. Um, Koa is actually the tenth cupcake in that line. Um, Losing my religion is the ninth by virtue of the fact that its release party was two days earlier. And yeah, I won. <laughs> And the, <laughs> I don't. I don't even know how to respond to that. The the cupcakes. I think. I think you. I mean, we've all won in a sense. It's true. It's it's a cool. It's a super cool brand, and I'm super uh, grateful that you guys let me contribute to it. It was. Uh, it, I thank you for writing such a cool story that is forms a good part of it. We'll we'll just be patting ourselves on the back for a little while here. Um, but I really I like them because we we started out when we founded them saying. There needs to be a venue for novellas, for basically, you know, 30 to 40,000 word stories, because there weren't any publishers at the time who were accepting that. Um, Fur Planet, it turned out, was specifically looking for shorter books that they could sell for a lower price point so that people didn't have to come up and plop down 20 bucks for a novel or 20 bucks for a big, thick anthology, because some people just wanted a shorter thing. And so when we talked to them and said, hey, we were thinking about writing these shorter novellas, they said, great. And you know what's the cool thing is we're ahead of the curve because uh, novellas are just now starting to uh, gain steam in mainstream science fiction they fantasy. They are. Uh, Tor just announced a line of novellas yeah. like this this past year or last yeah. year or something. I yeah. think they looked at what we were doing. We're like, ooh. I, I think so. <laughs> um, and from But from a personal standpoint, the cupcakes have been neat because they've allowed me to kind of explore stories and worlds and things that... Uh, that I wouldn't be able to do in the span of a novel. And I can do really quicker, quick things that are a little more complex, a little more in-depth than short stories. People have time to get to know the characters, to fall in love with them, um, whereas in short stories, the characters tend to come and go, and, and then they're gone. 
Um, and and so they've been they've been fun little things where I'll just have an idea and I'll start writing and I'll be like, this feels like it's going to be about forty thousand words, and then like. But I like novellas because later, the, it's a published book, which is or, like the narrative length is about the same as a movie. Like yeah. people go, movies are short stories. And I'm like, no, short stories are like you can't make a whole movie out of a short story unless you pad it out a bunch. But novellas, like, it's about that. We've all grown up with movies, right? So we're familiar with that sort of duration of story and 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 like how long a plot arc takes to resolve. And and so novellas are are kind of natural for a, for a, for our generation and for the upcoming generations too i think so it kind of satisfies cool. that need to to binge without you know risking your health or sleep or something like that like you could easily read 40,000 in one sitting and i mean a novel would be a stretch for me but i know there's people who can do it but it's it seems like it's in a really sweet spot if you can make the the story wrap up in that kind of length yeah no, uh, true story. I um, I plotted out Code the Drowned Kingdom on uh, one night when I couldn't go to sleep. It was after a writing group one night, and I just couldn't go to sleep. And like every single plot point just started occurring. And I'm like, I really, really wanted to get up and just start like writing in this like creative fever, but uh, I couldn't because I was too sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> but it stuck with me, and I'm really happy with that story. I I wrote it to. Um, we won't. We to be won't. structured the same as a movie, and yeah. Okay. So yeah. whenever, whenever we need you to write another novella, we'll just like trick you into eating chocolate-covered espresso beans again for the entire <laughs> evening. Um, the trouble is, like, about half the time that works, and the other half the time is like, oh, my friends hate me, and I was secretly embarrassing just then. Um, I know, I know you, um, White Yodi, have done. Generally, your your stock and trade is short stories. Um, have you gone? past like the 10 to 12,000 word limit often? And how does that usually work for you? Uh, well, as it happens right now, I'm uh, proofing a 53,000 word. Uh, it was a commission, actually. Someone uh, commissioned me to write it, and uh, it wasn't supposed to be that long, but it just, you know, w once people pay me a certain amount of money, it's kind of like, I'll write this until it naturally wraps up, and it wrapped up in 53,000. Um, and um, it's, I don't think it would be publishable in terms of, what a novella is supposed to be because it's one long string of you know story and there's a cast of eight or nine characters and and then there's a sex scene story and scene it's basically a string of scenes but at least um i've got that big uh, piece under my belt to kind of prepare me so so it could be a richard linklater movie <laughs> uh, a few people got sunrise. that <laughs> but no like when you say not publishable you mean mainstream because mainstream's still just doesn't have that space for novellas, but the well, fandom do. does. And you guys are awesome. Thank you for that. Yes. Because I really like that length of story. It feels very natural to me. Like, if I want to tell a simple story, novella length, like 40 to 50,000 words is about right. And so um, you guys apparently like that length. Uh, you buy it and it's uh, it's really cool. <laughs> I really enjoy telling stories around that length. So thanks, everyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Easier on the wallet. Easier on the uh, the uh, uh, time budget. Like you can read a you can read a novella in the evening and not feel gypped like you get a complete story. So. And it's easier on on our time budget as writers too <laughs> than novels. Like how how long did it take you to do Forest Gods? Forest Gods took about five months to write and about. 14 months to edit. 
And, and, as, and by comparison, Koa? Koa took uh, a month and a half to write and about 20 days to edit. Right. So, <laughs> and, and it's a comparison. What's, what's the, I'm, I'm just going to keep asking you questions here. What's the length of Forest Gods? How many words is it? Um, a little over 150,000, I think. Wow. Okay. It is a, it is a mighty book. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed at how like heavy it is every time I think I'm like, oof. <laughs> um, that seemed to have like it was Morgan that was kind of after it, but it didn't. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the so yeah, the novellas have been really cool. It's mm. po- it's cool that you guys love them and uh, we we enjoy writing them. So yeah, you should you should write more novellas, even if they don't come to the cupcake line. Fur Planet will publish them. Uh, they published Goddess as a standalone that's not a cupcake. They've published a couple other novellas, so they'll totally do that format. I'm working on an anthology for them right now, slowly. And then the next uh, obvious step from that is a novella, um, a standalone one. And then from there, I mean, you won't let me off the hook, so I'm going to write a novel at some point. It is, it is true, and you guys are all witness to this now, because I've been bugging him for a while to write a novel, and he's, he's finally... He's, he has agreed to it before, but now he's agreed to it on a recording <laughs> in front of witnesses. I will come so to the your police studio can arrest you if you and don't. clip that out of your... No. <laughs> we'll take you to court. <laughs> God damn it. I was going to say also that I don't know if this is just me, but um, it's surprising the amount of shorter stories, you know, 10 or 12,000 words that you can easily extend to 40 um, just by, I don't know, introducing a couple other characters. Or, well, or every on. character that you introduce increases the length of a story by an order of magnitude. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that, that's a risky, ris- risky thing there to introduce another character because then they have to re- have a relationship with every other character in the story. They have to have a relationship with the plot. It's, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to turn a 5,000-word story into a 40,000-word story, then yeah. Well, that's what happened with two characters. But that's what happened with Forest Gods. As I introduced a new uh, POV character who is Cloud, and um, if she were not in there, uh, the book would have been a hundred thousand words instead of one hundred and fifty. So yeah. Um. So okay. So that that seems you have more to say about novellas or about. Oh yeah, it's like it's like you finish a story and and there's just so much more there that you could put in there. It works fine as it is at that length, but but there's a lot of other things that your brain won't just it won't stop telling you other things about this universe that never uh, happens in the story. Things you might want to bring up and uh, they may or may not be um, important to the current story, but you can always, if you wanted to, you can come back and, and expand it. So maybe the main story was just one scene in a longer story. Yeah, which is uh, which is what happens when you do things like write a single short story that turns into a five novel series. Um, that was really <clears> dumb. I, I know that's you. super dumb. No one should ever do that. <laughs> so, how have uh, how have your guys' conventions been? It's been cool. Like it's been really chill. Like mostly, I just hang in the hang around, hang around in the bar and um, wait for people to walk by. Um, Recognize you, Mr. Famous Author, with two books being released. <laughs> no one does that. <laughs> please recognize me, please. <laughs> but no, I'm. It's okay because I'm an introvert, so I just sit there and uh, do things on my computer. And uh, so you're so you're happier when no one recognizes you. 
Either way is good. <laughs> okay. All right. One way means money. Other way means peace. Money, peace. Like this. Is <laughs> if only we could have both. A piece of money. Uh, how about yours? Um, it's it's been just as uh, much of a blast as all the rest of the rainforests. I uh, basically came on a whim the first time four years ago, and I didn't know how big of a writer's con it was. Oh, and it's then so good for writers. All of a sudden, yeah. there's like eight or ten or thirteen people in the room, and we're all talking about the thing that we all love to do, and it's like that whole sense of camaraderie, et cetera. And, and you know, FC is good because it's close. BLFC is cool because it's you know uh, Reno. But this is like this is like that's a, the first time that I was just going to say been. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> ever said cool because it's Reno before. <laughs> and then but that's yeah, what BLFC thing. parenthetically BLFC is cool because the con staff do an amazing job of putting on a convention and really like selling committing 100% to the theme I yeah especially last time I, I loved it I loved so much I, that's the first time I'd ever actually seen an employment of the theme and since I've been doing con since 04 and I guess that's saying something they, they paid attention to it and they actually made it work instead of make instead of half-assing it basically I have a deep fondness for this uh, this particular con. Um, give it up for Rainforest, you guys. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, so I know, was it last year you did panels for the first time? I think I've been doing it for a few years now. But yeah, I've been on years? a panel with you before. I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but I think the first panels that I did were here at Rainforest. Yeah, I was going to say um, it was either one or two years ago. I think. I, well, I, I, I used to not uh, go out for panels at FC because you intimidated me. <laughs> I feel bad but, about that then, now. But no, it was just you being, no, no, that was you being you and me being this other version of me that, you know, hadn't just written enough or hadn't lived enough. And then, and then I took a chance on the panels here and I'm like, ooh, this is, this is cool. And then I did the panels with you last year and I learned not to uh, self-deprecate for fear of bodily harm. <laughs> I got over that really quick. And, yep. uh, and now this is my I have four panels at one con, three panels and one invitation, and and it's like bring it on. It's it's it seems pretty normal now, and it's it's That's nice cool. that I can hold my own compared Absolutely. to what I started. But um, yeah, I've had a I've had a pretty good rainforest. Um, I've done a few panels. I did a reading. Um, I launched a book. How how is it doing? How is losing my religion doing? Um, I know like. They sold like it was six a, bazillion. It was, a major, it was a major hit like 25 years ago, but um, <laughs> haven't gotten tired of that one yet. Um, I think I think they are. I, I didn't. I tried to kind of surreptitiously look to see how big their stack was at the uh, at the end of the day, and I couldn't quite see. Um, I want to say they're down to like 15 or 20 or something like that. Um, and they brought 75, so that's a pretty good yeah. weekend of sales. Yeah. Um, it's decent. a fun story, too. Like, Thank you. I relate to it in a lot of ways. I was, I was actually really impressed that when the writing, when the writing group, uh, not two was part of my writing group, but when they um, critiqued the story, I was, like, I was kind of like, basically, it's this funny story with a lot of sex in it about this coyote and a... And, he plays in a band that they all they do is cover REM songs. Which you're sort of like, when are you ever going to succeed? Make it big time doing that, and 
like the people in the writing group were like, is this a metaphor for writing in the furry fandom? And I was like, no, but, but no, but maybe, I mean, I don't know. It's, maybe it's about like, you should be happy and successful. Anyway, the, the, the furry fandom, by the way, it's, it's, it was not intended to be that metaphorical, but for people who feel kind of stuck in a small part and want to break out, I, I, I actually feel like the furry fandom now can, I mean, obviously can support writers because it is supporting some writers. Yes. I've seen numbers, by the way, and the, uh, the, uh, the book sales in furry fandom are not, like, <laughs> you can do about as well selling books in the furry fandom as you can in mainstream uh, sci-fi and fantasy. Um, <laughs> and, and part of that is because you, I mean, from a financial standpoint, we've, we've been having these discussions because a couple of our, you know, I have, a, I have a novel that I'm sort of shopping around to some mainstreamy places, and uh, one of our other friends has a novel that he's shopping around, and we've been having these discussions about, you know, which would be better, would it be better to be picked up by, you know, say, Tor, which is always our example of a mainstream publisher, or would it be better to go to Fur Planet, and there's, there's all these options on both sides, and maybe 10 years ago, you'd be like, of course you want to be picked up by Tor, what, you know, because Fur Planet doesn't exist, and so <laughs> you're going to be published by an imaginary furry publisher. That's not going to make you any money. Um, but, but now there's there's enough serious pros and cons to each one that it's really really hard to make the decision. Um, and when you look at the the financials, are not a slam dunk, by the way. Yeah. Um, because generally, small presses, small presses in general and definitely in furry, give you a better deal than you're going to get from a large publisher, one of the big five, or one of the subsidiaries of the big five. Um, and especially as it relates to ebooks, because the, the big five publishers, they're starting to come around a little bit, but the royalties that they give authors off of ebooks are border on criminal. Um, but anyway, that's, this is not the place for that. <clears throat> so, but the point is... Um, Furry fandom is definitely growing, and the people in the fandom are passionate about the fandom and furry literature, furry works, and furry creators. We have better fans than well, yeah, mainstream sci-fi fantasy. You guys are better. Um, you support us more. Um, when we release a book, we know releasing it to um, an audience that's interested as opposed to... Eh, maybe. Like, yeah. um, you guys are awesome, and we love you, and that's why we release books <laughs> uh, to, with um, with to um, a targeted group, like with you guys, instead of trying to like uh, send it to tour um, some of these other groups. Like, I'm not saying that I won't ever, because it's good to diversify. But right. I mean, the idea is you want to get you want to get other people to also appreciate these books, and that's mm -hmm. something that's sort of been like an undercurrent of furry fandom ever since I've been in it, which is um, many, many years. Um, anyway, so <laughs> numbers. But, uh, <laughs> but one of the things about furry fandom is like, we kind of want to tell other people how cool it is. And there are ways to do that and ways not to do that. And we've seen a good, a good measure of both. But I think that the, the literature that comes out of the furry fandom is a really good way to 
Um, and in certain cases, and obviously there's some things that are more specific to our fandom than to the mainstream, but I think there's a lot of stories that come out of the fandom that would be completely appropriate and appreciated by um, mainstream science fiction fans. And I think, um, I think uh, furries sort of, like, they stigmatize themselves more than they need to. Like, most of mainstream uh, science fiction and fantasy are going to be cool with you guys. Like, if you go to a con or whatever and you go like, oh, yeah, I'm interested in this, uh, like, anthropomorphic stuff, it's, it does, it's not going to phase them. And that's one of the things that I wish Furry would really understand is, like, you're not as much of an outsider as you think you are. Like, <laughs> Yeah, although I will say that the... the in the attitude that I'm encountering now in mainstream science fiction has moved from, like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you would get, um, oh, you write furry stuff, and they would be all like, uh, that's weird, and I don't know what to do with it. And now they're like, hey, that's really cool. I don't know that's how to sell your it. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not interested. I'm not really interested in reading it. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who's going to sell it. But that said, you know, we've, we've gotten, myself and many other writers have gotten encouraging feedback from people in that industry about yes. furry stories where where they they'll write back and say well you know I don't want this but the reason is not oh I don't like animal people stories the reason is you know this one isn't for me or but mainstream uh, science fiction and fantasy has gotten more open and more accepting of not just about um, you know different cultures and 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 uh, um, Ex, you know, lifestyles and that sort of thing, but also about um, different ways that science fiction and fantasy is written, and um, furries are part of that. And and we are more accepted than you guys think, and and we're more welcome than you guys think. And I I would really like to see a stronger presence at uh, at uh, sci-fi fantasy cons. Like I will, I've, I I went to Worldcon this year, and it was, and I was not. I'm really shy in general about the furry thing around most people, but I wasn't there. You know, I would just talk about it and nobody batted an eye. Like they were just like, oh, cool. Like, let's talk about that. Like you, you are part of our group and I, I think we are like, we just don't know it yet. And that, yeah. that's really exciting, really encouraging. And I think there's, there's, there's room at the table for, our cons, which are bigger than some of their cons. Most of their cons. Yeah, I was going to say, their, their world con is about comparable to Anthrocon mm -hmm. at this point. Actually, Spokane's world con was more comparable to Midwest Fur Fest. Um, London, London had about eight to 10,000 people, something like that. But that was like the biggest world con ever. Mm -hmm. um, and also it was London, so it was an easy flight, easiest flight for many American authors. It was an easy flight for every European author, and it was and it was in the middle of London, so it was this great destination, and we just and kind of a drop-in con too. Like, oh hey, I'm one of like the 18 million people in London. Sure, I'll stop in with yeah. my friends. Yeah, and London, <laughs> London was a blast. I'll talk more about it at some other point. Furry isn't as much of a redhead stepchild as it used to be perceived as. We have you know fandom, 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 and then furry is down here in the corner. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go ahead. You're uh, just trying to take this all back to your book, aren't you? <laughs> no, go ahead. I see we're not as on. much in the corner as we used to be. We're not at the bottom of the geek hierarchy anymore. Well, now and, that there's uh, bronies. 
Now that there's uh, MRAs and Gamer Gators and uh, Sad Puppies and Rabid Puppies, like yeah, but I don't, I don't even think they're in the geek hierarchy. I think they're. I guess maybe they are. They are. Yeah. All right. But anyway, yeah, you were, a, everybody's got a place along the ladder somewhere. But the um, anthropomorphics is such an added value to a lot of things. I mean, you. A lot of people write stories with the uh, with furry characters because they want it. They love the ear communication, the tail communication, the hackles, the different species. Where you know humans are boring compared to all these things, and they add the mythology. They add, um, um, you know, just a more uh, an animal the, uh, roles, role playing, uh, power uh, struggles, and that also that, that floods over into. I mean, there's uh, what uh, Jack and Daxter. There's video Star Fox over here. There's um, it. It infiltrates in uh, so many different ways, and people are like, "Ew, furries!" But then they're like, "Oh, animaniacs!" And it's like. They, they they share some commonalities. I mean, we are an, we are an accepting community, and that's very valued now. Yep. In, in the light of all the all the like ugliness that's happened, like the uh, the ability to identify with groups that are different, um, to pull people in instead of pushing them out, which is I think one of our strengths. Um, that's that's very valued. I, I was going to say if if any furry would write a a science fiction like military science fiction rollicking <laughs> space adventure story that reinforces the male patriarchy you would have a, like a built-in audience in the science fiction fandom John C. Wright would be like ah. yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and also if they're and also if they're Christian yeah um yeah I read I read all of the Hugo nominees from the sad puppies and uh, that's a tale for another time um I was not impressed in general like the, granted, that was not, I think, a lot of the writing in the science fiction fan, some of the, some of the more literary writing is really, really good and really complicated, and we don't, we don't really have a lot of people in the fandom doing that kind of thing. But, and, that's, and, and so it's sort of skewed because you have the, the awards often at this point are prizing that literary, like, super deep, complex writing. Sure, but when you look at just the, the mainstream science fiction that's on the shelves, the stuff that's coming out of furry, especially in the last few years, is completely on a par with whatever. Agreed. Whatever and they have. like, I really encourage people, like there is this um, extremely accessible science fiction and fantasy community out there on Facebook and Twitter, social media in general, that you can go out and you can follow people and they will engage with you. They're happy to like have a conversation. If you're cool and not just a uh, like raving shithead, like <laughs> they're, you're, they're then you're, you're already better than like yeah. 80% of Facebook uh -huh. in that case. So. And you can, you can participate. You can be part of this larger community and it, it will be welcomed. And, um, and we, we yeah. don't. And, and, and along those, along those lines, like also, it's good to you know support the furry community, of course. Support furry writers and authors. Buy our books, but um, especially mine. But also, but also read outside the community. Yes, so definitely. If you're following people and they're talking about this book or this story or whatever, you know, go read it. Set aside yeah. some time to go read it. And because if you come in, if you come in to engage in Facebook and the, the thing like being a raving lunatic or whatever. If you come into Facebook and your agenda is basically like, hey, I want to make people pay attention to this stuff over here, that's not going to get yeah. as much engagement yeah. as if 
you know, they're talking about this story and then you go read the story and you say, oh, I have these ideas. And you engage with the story about those ideas and then they start to have conversations with you and they say, oh, well, what else do you like? And then, you know, once you're... But connecting with that larger science fiction and fantasy community, it's not like way up there. It's down here. Like, and you can, you can be a part of it. Like, you, the, um, it's not huge. <laughs> like, there's this kind of impression that like, oh, I have to read like 800 people now. And it's like, no, like... <laughs> It's in the dozens. Like you, yeah. can, you can make connections with a few people and they'll connect you with other people and it is very positive. Um, and they are, they are interested, they're open. For the most part, they're open and engaged people who are, who are cool to have fans. Um, check out Angry Robot Publishing. Like they're one of my yeah. new favorites. Um, they, have a, they have a few people they're publishing um, now and like um, Wesley Chu, who um, they're publishing was just the, the, this year's uh, Campbell uh, award winner. Um, there's there's great books out there. Um, there's people doing exciting things that are that and they're on our level. Like <laughs> you can enter this world so easily, and it's so rewarding. And you really should. Yeah, and I think this this whole there's there's a little bit of impatience to say, well, why don't they just like why don't they do the same thing for us? Why don't they come and and look at our community? And uh, you know they're kind of only aware of it peripherally. And that's why I think we're trying to get more furry writers to go to these, to, at least to the world cons. We're trying to get more of a presence and make people more aware of it so that eventually people become curious about these books and say, well, you know, there's this community of thousands and tens of thousands of people who really like these books. Maybe I should pick one up and take a look at it. And I think in the next five to 10 years, some people in the community are going to start picking up these books and saying, hey, you know, there's a few... You know, we don't, we don't maybe necessarily, I mean, there's, there's definitely people in the science fiction community who would want the BDSM collection. Um, there's a, there is a, a science fiction erotica press that did the, because that, uh, you know, I met the founder because I wrote a story for their press and she started the press because she, she was like, I kind of like bondage and I want to write a science fiction story with bondage. And she took her first story and made like photocopied, pamphlets, stapled pamphlets of it and went around conventions selling it for like $2 and that's how her press started. So I would say that the the flip side of this though is that, you know, the sci-fi fantasy community is not unaware of us. Like there are there are Hugo award winners who are friends with people in the furry community who 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 know us well. I mean, there are Hugo award winners who are members of the furry community. Yes, yes there are. Um, yes, yes, Ursula, yes, and 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 others like Cat Valenti knows furries, and yeah. she's been on uh, she's been on this podcast. Cat Valenti has been on this podcast. And Ursula Vernon has been on this mm -hmm. podcast. Um, I think we've had one other Hugo winner on the podcast. I can't remember who it was now, which sounds really bad. Like I can't remember which Hugo Award winner was on the podcast. <laughs> right, but I would say the flip side of this is that um, we're not amateurs anymore, and we can't act like it. Like. It's time we we are now ready to hold ourselves to higher standards, to to work, to write, to criticize ourselves as if we are part of the mainstream because we are. Um, and you know, Digger is Sofa Wolf, but Digger's, Digger is also um, Hugo and a Hugo Award winning uh, strip, and we are we are closer to that that mainstream um, than a lot of people think, and I I think that in 10 or 10 years, um, 
there's going to be very little division between our, our communities and we need to be ready for it. We need to, we need to work hard. We need to have professional standards for ourselves. We need to <laughs> like expect that. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, this gets to, this gets to a debate. I'll be interested to hear your views on it too. Um, where there's a, I, I used to sort of, I, I we've, We've tried to say, we've talked about like the, the stories that come up on So Furry, and there's a lot of levels of writing. And I think there's a, that, that what you're saying about you know, professional standards and all is absolutely true for a subset of furry writers. And that is a subset that really want to be professional writers. There is another subset of furry writers who are very happy being amateur furry writers who want to just publish their stories on So Furry. Oh, sure, and yeah. And they're just like, I just, I like this story because I like the idea and I'm just going to write it down for me and my friends. And if other people in furry really like it, you know. But that exists in mainstream science fiction it fantasy also, too. It also does exist in mainstream. I, I mean, just, they get I'm, Hugos for, for, for fan fiction writing and, you know. For, well, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I just want to say I, I, don't, I don't disagree, but I want to also say there's room for all kinds of writing and... I had this discussion with uh, Rob Baird, who was saying, there are, if you go by the people who upload to So Furry, there are literally thousands of writers in the furry fandom. And there's a, there's maybe, what's the, what's the Furry Writers Guild membership now? Like 100, 150, something like that. Um, there's a small subset of them who, uh, who want to take writing to the next step professionally and seriously and to say, you know, we want to, we want to start, we want to just keep upping our game. Basically that's for, you know, this group of writers that we belong to. It doesn't necessarily mean, well, we're going to start casting aside all of those people who just no, want to no, upload no. their <laughs> but, things. But, but again, mainstream science fiction fantasy doesn't do that. Like <laughs> they, right. they welcome their, their fan fiction writers and they, then they welcome their, you know, pe- Engagement with the community is always valued. I think right. with, with, okay, with rare exceptions when someone is a toxic piece of shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of fortunate in that we don't really have those kinds of people to that extent in no, our community. We are, we are in general a cooler community than the, yeah. uh, than the mainstream we science really, fiction fantasy. We really kind of are. Um, anyway, I'm anxious to get your thoughts on it as well. As, as someone who writes... It tends to write. I, I mean, I know you can you can write really good, more um, mainstreamy stories when you want to, and but a lot of your stuff tends to be more extreme and more out on the fringe. So uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Well, there really isn't much of an agenda behind that. That's just the stuff that comes into my head. You know, welcome to my uh, to my psyche. <laughs> um, I I I never intended to be popular or to get anything in a book and I like I said in another panel I failed on both counts um, I don't think anybody minds um, but I I do differ from a lot of the other writers especially at this con that where I don't I mean I want to make my work the best to lift it up as best as I can and you know if I su- submit to a book and I get in it cool uh, but um, uh, I I don't have the end goal of you know making it my, my day job it's always been a fun thing um, it's something that I'm really good at, and I'm proud of that. And I'm, I'm just having a lot of fun with it um, as 
um, there's a day job and then there's a passion and then there's a nice balance between that. Again, I'm just going to point out, like, most mainstream science fiction and fantasy writers also have a day job. <laughs> like, yeah. the, the distance between us is not that large. Um. I've, I've experienced <laughs> a whole lot of people who their, their end goal is to make their fortune doing furry fiction. And <laughs> <laughs> not said, yeah. Should get a and, more realistic goal, like learning to fly. <laughs> and there's the there's the there's the idealism where, um, you know, do do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your whole life. And then there's the whole, uh, you can do your passion on the side where you have benefits at this job over here, mm-hmm. work towards your retirement, but you can have all these great stories, and you can still do. It's you know, there's discipline to it. You have. Uh, there's time management. You can do this thing. And I get up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm writing at five from five to eight. And then I go to work and that's where I get my writing done. Um, that's just the way that I personally work. Um, when everyone else is going to bed, I'm awake. Um, but I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I'm, I, I love that. I'm, I'm at like 133 stories now. Um, wow. That's amazing. Bad props, yo. Thanks. And considering that like 26 of those are published, that's a really good percentage yeah. of, of a total work. And um, I'm, I'm still blown away. I mean, I, I don't go around like gawking at all, my shelf full of books. I'm, I just got two at this con. I'm expecting a third one. So I have like a second shelf I got to do now. And it's just uh, looking at that. It's like, cool, I did this thing. There's all these barcodes that I have uh, to my name. And it's just... Uh, you don't need them, but it's this great validation. Every everybody, every human on the planet wants validation and to be told they're good. I liked what you did, and or you know I got off so hard. Um, <laughs> which so. is which is a you know you're you're looking for engagement with your writing, and that's a form of engagement. Um, Even more than that, I, I get um, I forgot to fap. I have to go back a second time just so I can get off. Thanks a lot, and I'm like you're welcome. Um, I'll tell you. Those. I'll tell you a secret about writers' shelves. Um, if you're not familiar with the term, like the writer shelf, like writers have a shelf where all of the books that they've published or contributed to go. And so you're like, I have a full bookshelf. If you get one of those like IKEA shelves that's about that wide, <laughs> you can have like three shelves in no time. And then you can be like, I've got three shelves of my books in my bookcase at home. Um, I should have specified the average, you know, dimensions of a shelf. Right. Um, one of the and one of the things that I think is really cool about the fandom is, you know, I'm, I've had, I've had you know, I have people people ask somebody asked me this con how many books I have published and I'm like ah, it depends what you define as a book so like twenty maybe, um, not tubes had has four books out now, um, and the fact that and the fact that you're writing is recognized for the quality that it has even though I shouldn't say even though like in the mainstream in mainstream science fiction the people that get on panels are often the people who have books out who have books published who are considered professional authors and I think one of the cool things is that furry fandom recognizes that you write damn good stories mm-hmm. and you might not have you might not have like published six novels of your stories you might be in collections here and there and those those kinds of people like sometimes do get noticed in the mainstream, but it's really it's a lot harder to make a reputation on short stories in that world. But the fact that you're getting recognition for being by being on panels and by being you know consulted as as one of the you know more 
eminent writers in the fandom, I think is really cool and, and that, well-deserved, by the way. Thank you. And, and that, despite some of the content, that still uh, blows me away because I, I used to spend a lot of time just waiting for a shoe to drop and that would be the end of it and somebody would get a, get a rager on for something or another. But the, the main thing is these things come out of my head. They got to go on the page. It's called expiation. It happens to a lot of us, and I just want to, you know, make those the best I can, no matter what the subject matter is. I, I personally don't consider myself a shock writer because there's been so much stuff that got into books. Dis, um, and d despite um, the other stuff that I've done that never gets into books, um, everybody is just so um, accepting, and uh, you know, no, nobody's like, uh, well, you, you, you have you've written this in the past, so I don't feel comfortable publishing your stuff. That just still never happened. Um, and I just, uh, that's I like, very lucky. I like something that uh, Tieran told me about the second Will of the Alpha book. Tieran from Fur Planet, um, he said he specifically ordered the stories so that the mildest kinks were at the front and the sort of harshest were towards the back. And so he said now he tells people, at whatever point you feel uncomfortable, just stop reading because it's not going to get any better. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's cool. They're open to publishing a book like that and just saying some people are going to like this and you might not. And you know, so when you get to the point where you're like, this isn't for me anymore, that's the end of the book for you. And what surprised me was that my story was second to last and I didn't... Uh, I was basically, I wasn't phoning it in, but I'd never done the stuff that I wrote in the story, and I uh, just did a little bit of research, but I guess I was convincing enough that uh, a lot of people who were into that particular stuff in the story uh, appreciate it and could relate to it. <laughs> and, but I, it never struck me as uh, you know, taboo or, or extreme, but knowing the stuff that I write, the stuff that I think is normal, everyone else thinks is extreme, and I've, I'm, I'm, I've long since accepted that. I think the whole like shocking and amusing letters from fans is probably a whole other unsheathed episode that we should do sometime. But um, for now, unless you have closing remarks where we should probably get to taking some questions from people in the audience, because I told them they should ask questions and we've rambled on for 45 minutes without letting them ask anything. So I do have closing remarks based on things that you said. And it's like, if there's one thing that I wish that I could communicate to the furry fandom at large and, 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 and like have it absorbed. It's that I think furry fandom has this real inferiority complex where we regard ourselves as, as kind of socially maladjusted in a way or like there's always this stereotype about furry drama and like, oh, drama, like whatever furries, you know, like um, we're, not, we're not special in that way. Like this is a human thing. Like if you, if you know yeah. human beings... Outside of our fandom, there's always drama. Like it's part of it's part of who humans are. Um, <laughs> you're you're there. There's not a way in which you're broken or which you're 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 not you're not contiguous with like the larger um, the larger humanity. We we we're. <laughs> everything that you we see, belong. we we belong. <laughs> everything that you see that you think is unique to our fandom is not. It's part of humanity. 
Yeah. <laughs> We're all just part of this great mixed up like human race. And I know that saying that is slightly offensive to everyone because like, oh, humans, what? Like, <laughs> but, but no. <laughs> um, We're not special in that way. We're special in some other ways. Yes. Um, but we are... Everyone is a special snowflake. <laughs> you, but you, you don't have to feel like this thing that is part of our community is, is unusual or I should be ashamed of it or I, um, um, I have to self-deprecate so that people accept me. I see that a lot. People like slagging on furry so that they kind of seem like they can rise above it in a way. And it's like, no, this is human beings. This is who we are. Um, we're all part of this. The things that you do and the things that happen in cons or between people living in the same household are the same as the large, larger world. I, I yeah. wish be, people could understand that. And, and yeah, we it. said that. I know I've said that before on this podcast. It's where, like, if you tell, if you, if people ask you about the furry conventions and you're like, oh, well, it's kind of, it's just like a science fiction thing and people are kind of like animals and threat, and they're like, Oh, is that a furry con? Like, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, a furry con. I don't know. I just sort of go. It's like my friends are all into it, whatever. Then people are going to know, the people are going to get the impression that, that you are ashamed of it because you are ashamed of it. If you just go, yeah, it's a furry con. Some people dress up in costumes. I have a costume I dress up in sometimes, but I do it at the cons and I do it with my friends and it's fun. And, you know, the, that CSI episode was completely off base. I'm going to um, give you guys a cool secret. I was talking to the uh, staff at the Fairmont one time after further confusion and it was like, so it's like our con, like, do you dread when we come in town? It was like, Oh no! What you guys are, you guys are fine. Like <laughs> you're a really, really well-behaved con. And I said, really, like, so, like, what kind of conventions are are, are bad? And he was like, dentists. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There was. There was. So, um, God, I, um, Buck, were you at Furry Fiesta like number two? Um, I think that was the one where there was a dentist convention, like either just before or just after or contiguous with Fiesta. And yeah, they were, the, the management there said the same thing. They were like, <laughs> no, you guys were great. We had so many problems this weekend and it was all because of the dentist. Yeah, they have so many drugs and they just like, <laughs> they use them and they wreck their rooms and they like, it's it's terrible. Like, <laughs> And remember the, remember the Midwest Fur Fest when like, there were a bunch of prostitutes who heard that there was a convention at the convention center and all kind of came up to hang around outside and everybody was, people went out and were like, yeah, you're, you're probably not going to get much business here. At this. And they were like, oh, okay. And, I mean, but that's standard at other conventions. It's like a lot of, a lot of bad behavior and so, we're, we're, we're good. I encourage you all the next time that you go to a dentist, like, <laughs> when ask you're there, them, ask them for drugs. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying, like, as much as you can with 18 different things in your mouth, smirk a little bit because <laughs> you're better than them. <laughs> okay, let's. Um, we have a we have a microphone serval. Thank you for your help today. Uh, we have some questions from the audience, so. Introduce, introduce yourself and state I just your have question. two things. Uh, hi, I'm Reachin. Hi. Um, I have two things. First of all, there's a tweet that's going around the fandom on Twitter, and it's someone saying, I've made fun of furries for 15 years, and I want to apologize. Compared to the current internet, you guys are the new normal. <laughs> and the other thing is that 30 years ago, 
the people that were the fandom now are were the Trekkies, and you would have a Trekkie con, and people would see them and they would smirk. And you know what? The Trekkies' response to that was, fuck you, I'm going to go watch Star Trek <laughs> and dress up like a Klingon. And you know, now that's considered completely normal. Now there are people in the lobby who are smirking at us, and the business people are like, but in 30 years, this isn't going to be a blip because there's going to be something way weirder in 30 years, and we're just going to be on sitcoms. We're, we, are, we are, by the way, already on sitcoms. I can at least rattle off the Drew Carey show, 30 Rock. Um, what else? <laughs> Emmanuel goes to dinosaur land. <laughs> wow, I don't remember that Our one. Our word for sex is yiffing. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. 30 Rock. <laughs> 30 Rock. <laughs> 30 Rock was so good. I'm used to having to explain uh, to at least two or three people every con what the thing is in, in different forms, whether or not a, uh, depending on how, how disgusted they look or going around it. But two notable things that happened to me this con was checking into the Red Roof, which is like three blocks north of here. And I guess there's mostly furries in it, but uh, the, the, the lady, after she checked us in, she was like, uh, so you guys in town for the convention? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, okay, well, uh, uh, after you are, uh, when you're checking out from the convention, can I have your FA pages? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> No, like, you may not. Like, <laughs> you have my credit card, ma'am. You know? And then the second one was last night after we got all got done with the coffee clutch and everything, I, uh, I, I was going to go do some hot tubbing, didn't have my swimsuit, and so I, I didn't want to, I wasn't in any shape to walk to the red roof. So I just took a little Uber, and the guy in the Uber um, knew exactly what was going on. He was probably ferrying people, you know, left and right. And in the three or so blocks it took to get there, we already established, yeah, it's a con. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, I should drop in sometime. What do you do? I'm a writer. Oh, that's awesome. Well, what do you do? Short fiction. You know, thanks for writing with me. And there was no explanation. It was just here. This thing is here. The people who live around these places and live around, you know, San Jose, they have, I mean, Iguanas has discounts for furries and there's uh, Fernando's. Yeah, uh, that it just—it's all over the place. And the uh, the <laughs> the most recent poster for Zootopia to come out um, <laughs> oh my has, God. has all kinds of amazing like <laughs> brand name animal puns in it that could be taken from any number of furry books that I've read, which no, is hysterical. Director is a furry, like straight up, he's just a furry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I definitely think Zootopia is going to is going to at least bring more people into the fandom. Um, <laughs> it's our movie. It, it, yeah, it really is. It, I'm, at this point, it could be like a shitty movie and I don't care. I'll watch it with the sound off because the fox is going to be cute. Um, <laughs> no, like, yeah. the character design and animation is so good. It really like, is. It's so good. He keeps, he keeps using them as stickers in Snapchat or in a <laughs> Telegram, Telegram just to so annoy There's me. There's a whole Nick Wilde sticker set in Telegram and, I, and there, it's like... Those are my expressions, so I just keep using them. Um, but the point is, like, Zootopia has all these things. And I think one of the ways, one of the sort of underrated ways in which the mainstream has figured out to connect with the furry fandom is through terrible animal puns. <laughs> because everybody gets that. And, and people are like, people have, it's, it's, it's really terrifying how people in like the mainstream areas around have figured out that you can just stick fur into words and make a terrible pun and furries will love you for I it. I will not. <laughs> I will shoot you. 
but it's cute when mainstream people do it. When I'll furries them, do dude. it, it's <laughs> when, when furries do it, we're all just like, oh my god, no. But but yeah, they've and the like store owners and people have, have figured this out. Like Fernando's at uh, near Anthrocon serves like special meals in dog bowls to people. Oh um, my god, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have plastic dog bowls that they give out to people. I don't and have a gun, everyone, but I have mind bullets. <laughs> and, <laughs> And the lines for them are out the door. It's and, and it's amazing. And I think that's so cool because it's it's like, look, we don't necessarily want to be in your home, but we want to play with you outside. That's cool. So it's 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 really it's really encouraging. Dog park. <laughs> so you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely it's going to. Like, I pity the children who watch this movie and are shaped by I mean, For God's sake, they had him zip if, up his pants in the trailer. If, like, if, you're, if you're nine years old and you're hell? watching this movie, it's over for you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the Disney afternoon all over again. Yo, please state your name and your question, and thank you for your patience. It's Georges Quares. Yes, indeed it is, Ryan. Um... Hi, I'm George Squares, and I'm in both of the anthologies that uh, Wadi Yodi is in. So, um, congratulations! Please read, please read those. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm also near the back at the Will of the Alpha too. So, yeah. So you're a horrible, horrible person. Is no. what you're saying? Okay. Side eye. But, <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, I think it's cool that you talked about how fairies have become more mainstream um, when. <laughs> I could say a oh, little God. closer. This is complicated. I'm little, sorry. You look no. like you, you look like now smell it a little. <laughs> you look like you're demonstrating some futuristic dental <laughs> <laughs> Which really makes me which really makes me want to ask the serval to check you for drugs now. Gently uh, gently baste your tonsils, if you would. <laughs> Just move it back and forth in front of your teeth and let the let the let the medical x-rays Soothe away the plaque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but um, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, like I was saying, um, furry has been in mainstream for a while for like um video He's games. He's going too. red. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. We're we're just narrating because this visual humor <laughs> will be completely lost on the people listening to the podcast later. They're not gonna. No one's gonna get this, and, and it's okay. Well, that's why we're narrating it. <laughs> okay. okay. But yeah. Um. I can think of several modern um, video games coming out soon, like uh, Scott Benson's Night in the Woods, um, which is going to be released on PlayStation 4 um, that has primarily anthro characters. It's oh, my a, God. Is that the one with the like the donuts, wolf donuts? Donut wolf? Yeah, yeah donut wolf. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget the recently released Undertale. <laughs> oh, yeah. That which actually... <laughs> yes. No, yeah. um, one of the secret yeah. bosses is someone's persona, which is... Yeah, fairies are here. They've been here. Yeah. Um, Armello, yeah, Armello raised um, five hundred thousand dollars, like, in their Kickstarter, and that was like their oh, we need this is our two month goal, and we kind of really want to do it, and it's like oh, you hit it in one month. So yeah, there's a market for it, and it's they're here. We've been here. Hi, and, I, and, and <laughs> you I may already think, be used to it. Yeah, and I, and I do think people are realizing that, and I think this is when we talk about like. Um, when we talk about getting into the the mainstream, when we're talking about mainstream science fiction, um, amusingly, the science fiction community can often be a little bit behind the times. Um, 
like in terms of it was just this year that the Science Fiction Writers Association decided that, hey, if you've self-published a book or have got a book out with a small press that made the same amount of money as an advance you would have gotten from a publisher, then maybe you should be also allowed to join our organization. But that whole thing was like pushed super strongly by Maggie. By Maggie, who's Maggie one of, Hugo, who's, Hogarth, who is one of us. Who is one, one of us. us. And it took, but at the same time, it took her two years to do. And by the so, way, Maggie is um, on the Furry Writers Guild frequently in the yeah, chat box. You can is, talk she to her. She She's is. also the vice president of SIFWeb yeah, right now. Yeah. The vice president of the Science Fiction Writers of America hangs out in our guild's chat room <laughs> on a weekly basis. And participates. <laughs> yes. And is really cool to talk to. Yes. Um, but... Uh, so I'm sorry. Um, but um, anyway, my point yes. is acceptance in the mainstream, in the outer mainstream, might actually come a little faster than in the science fiction community because just people, people go glom onto things in pop culture that they find, and uh, Zootopia is going to accelerate that, of course. Mm -hmm. And just anytime someone like Disney makes a big property, oh, there's more than one. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There's so sure. many. <laughs> I know. I know four mascots right now active. And then two other relatives actually who work at Disneyland. So I mean, that's if that's an indication. Deedless. Hi. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm Daedalus or Kilted Jackalope. Um, first off, I wanted to start off by just saying thank you to all three of you for what you do for the fandom, for showing up here tonight, Aww, for entertaining thank you. us, and for giving back so much that we enjoy reading from all of you and taking the time to um, just sit with your fans and you know go back and forth with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, the question I have for you is, you're all three accomplished writers and you're all very talented. You could write in any genre or any form you wanted to and I think you would be successful. What is it about the furry characters, the anthropomorphic characters, what does that bring to your stories that you don't get anywhere else? Why do it that way? Mm, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, do you either? Do you have a ready answer, or it it kind of comes from everywhere? Sometimes I want to write a story to, to to pair up a couple of characters and reverse the predator prey thing by virtue of a, you know some kind of sexual angle or some. Sometimes it's. Uh, it's basically like circles where you just have furry humans and it doesn't factor in that much. I personally find it a lot more interesting when you can express emotions and, and uh, relationships through the ears positions, the tail positions, the, uh, you know, fur, haggles, rising, snarling. And especially with the, there's a lot of uh, scent play that you can do. Um, and it just, uh, there's so much more engagement, at least for me, um, than uh, just writing uh, humans into those stories. And a lot of the times they need to be furry just because uh, that's just the way that the story is going. But even if they're not furry, there's so much more information you can give to a reader uh, by engaging all those other physical aspects. Can you go next if you're yeah, not can ready you go, No, I'm ready, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of want to leave it because mine's kind of heavy. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, 
I don't know. There's there's a number of levels on which I can answer that, and because I've I've been asking myself that question. If you go look at the foreword of my first published novel, um, the foreword is all about basically my me asking myself, if you're going to write a quarter of a million words, why would you choose to do it in gay furry erotica? Um, and sometimes the answer is just that you don't have a choice, that that's how your brain works. Um, the, another level, as, as, you know, as White said before, you know, this is, there's no plan to it, it's just that's what, that's what happens. Um, there's, on another level, there's a, there's, it's basically just I like those characters, and that's a that's an answer that has a long history back through from you know for me when I saw Disney's Robin Hood and had you know in those days we didn't have VHS tapes we had records that we would play that had the soundtrack of the movie and I played that thing until it was grooved right through um, to the point where and I, and I played I, I don't know played it for a few years I forgot about it and like years and years and years later when the videotape came out, I still knew half the lines to the movie because I had had them burned into my memory from listening to that record over and over again. And so I sat there and I was like, hey, let's, let's rent Robin Hood. We haven't, I haven't seen that in like whatever, 20 years. And um, popped it in and I was like, you know, hiss, you deliberately dodged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I still know all of these lines. Um, so, so part of it was that, having you know, had that aesthetic and having seen a story in it and, and just thinking, man, that's cool. And I like that, that I like that. Um, and then there's another level whereby as a writer, I try to write stories that justify the things that I want to write anyway. Um, so you... You know, furries are great for doing things. I love all the different body expressions, like like White said, you know, ears and, and tails and stuff. And I find now that when I write human characters, I get it's a it's like a completely different mindset. And I I never find myself accidentally saying, Well, you know, Joe perked his ears because he's human and it, and he's human and he occupies a different slot in my mind and my writing is actually different when I'm writing human characters, which is weird. And I, I feel much more at home and comfortable in the furry worlds, which is a little odd also. But um, so, you know, I try to find stories that justify writing the furry characters. And so you, you look at things like people who feel out of place and people who are going against type. And you can do that with species. You know, I'm a fox. I'm supposed to be cunning. And, you know, I just want to be honest and pay for everything and not... You know, I, I just want people to like me. I don't want to trick them. And but you're, then you're not being a good fox, or you know, I'm a I'm a tiger, and I'm supposed to be tough and manly and and stuff. But also, I'm gay, and that's you know, the perception is at odds with reality. And having all of those stereotypes and cultural background things built into the different species, um, I think really is really really fun for me in stories, uh, and just. Exploring like a little bit how the world would be different is uh, is something that I I enjoy. I think mostly it just comes down to I've I've enjoyed doing it so much that man I just I feel so comfortable now in those worlds. So first of all, um, I do perk my ears when people say something interesting. It looks like this. 
<laughs> I do uh, wiggle my nose when something's interesting. Things like that. But um, for me, so humanity is this strange state where we regard ourselves as not animals, where we, we have this impression that we have free will and that we can rise above um, what the animal state is, that we can control ourselves. And meanwhile, there are all these urges and desires and hungers beneath the surface. And like with furries, that's all, all those hungers and desires and urges are permitted. There, uh, you, you can be like horny and, and express it or, or hungry and express it or, you know, uh, whatever else. Like the, the movements of your ears or, or, or the wag of a tail shows who you really are. Um, and we are those things as humans or as furries. We still feel all those things. We still want to express them, but we're expected to control them and hide them and push them behind this, um, behind civility and civilization. Um, but with furry, you don't have to do that. Like you can, you can have all these appetites. You can have your id. You can have your 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 desire. And, and that's okay. So for me, furry is forgiveness in a way. It's permission. Uh, it's allowing you not just to be human, to be an animal. But we, we are all animals. Like no matter what we look like on the outside, we are all animals. And all these things that we feel and want to act on and like that motivate us through life, that we're supposed to hide and suppress and control and have self-discipline about, they're all okay. They're permitted. That's what I love about furry is that you're, you're, you're allowed. Like it, it can come out and there's, there's this honesty to it that doesn't exist um, all the time in, in human civilized society. Um, so that's, that's what I love about furry and that's why I try to write it because... To me, it's, it's compassion, not just for the animal state, but for the human, human condition as part of the animal state. That we are allowed to be who we are. We're allowed to want what we want and show it and not feel ashamed or embarrassed that those things exist. And if we are ashamed or embarrassed, it's super cute, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So for me, that's why. <laughs> good, good question, by the way, and, and good answer there. Um, yeah, and I think from from the stand, uh, uh, I don't know. Do we have more questions? I'm not going to add to that. I don't. I think I should just let that one sit up front. Um, I'm Derelix, and um, not exactly a question, more of a statement. Uh, earlier, Ryan, you said uh, first not. A, <laughs> Ryan, you said the first and not exactly at the bottom of the chart of the outcast chart anymore. You mentioned uh, bronies. <laughs> Technically, I, I mentioned bronies. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I resent that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a joke. Yeah. We, we actually, um, the thing that we sort of 
tangentially refer to all the time is that the geek hierarchy that the Brunswick Shuttlecocks made I don't know, a million years ago now, where like he had all his arrows being, you know, at least we're not this one. And like furries were near the bottom, and then there was the bottom furries one. Furries who write was, Star Trek fan fiction. The bottom one was people who write <laughs> Star Trek erotic fan fiction, and like Kirk is an ocelot or something. Um, but yes, thank you for the laughter at their joke. Um, but we, we sort of added to it a little while ago, and what we actually did was we put furries and bronies, and it was like a double-sided arrow between them, because each of those groups is like, well, at least I'm not that group, and then both of them had a down arrow to furry bronies. <laughs> bronies, I do not love your show. I've watched it a few times. It is not for me. But I am happy that you love something. Yep. And loving something is never wrong. Like, if you... <laughs> well... Uh, unlike, well... <laughs> sometimes it's against the law, though. <laughs> Methods of expressing that love are sometimes wrong. But loving something... Love. True love. is If you enjoy it, I'm happy for you. I, I cannot always share in that enjoyment and love. But um, I'm happy for you. And it's... No, it's, the, the, I mean, it's, I've... I've, I've been sort of tangentially at a brony con to specifically just to meet friends. Um, no, I've also I've watched like half of an episode or something, and it's it's fine. It's I gave it five. Yeah. My husband watched a bunch of them for me. So, <laughs> but no, the 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 people at the brony cons were very very nice. Yeah. Everyone was great. Um, it was. It's, it's definitely, it's mostly when we say, haha, we make fun of bronies now, it's sort of an ironic gesture, like, because we, if anyone, we should not be the ones <laughs> yeah. saying, ha, we now we have someone to make fun of. We know we're the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in fact, you know, BronyCon in Baltimore was the largest anthropomorphic uh, enthusiast convention, so it's Bigger than Anthrocon. Um, so, more, uh, did we have more questions for? Hi. Uh, Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> I'm some cool guy, you know. Oh, it's uh, true. Yeah. That's actually my handle. I'm <laughs> some cool guy on Twitter. No, uh, I remember when you killed vampires that time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Jacoby. I had a, a quick question. Um, not too, but I hear that your husband is really amazing. <laughs> uh, what's you your know favorite? what he does best is ask questions that impress everyone in the room, so I'm really looking forward to improving that. <laughs> wow. No pressure. <laughs> no, so uh, one of the things that I had a question uh, about was, um, Kyle, everyone's you know pretty much familiar with your work. Um, but uh, for not tube and white yodi, white yodi or white yote, um, yodi the accent's pretentious. Okay, <laughs> yote, yote. Uh, I keep I keep imagining him. Whenever I see the accent on his name, I keep imagining him as a Buckaroo Banzai character going white yote, white yote. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what stories, at, like maybe online or uh, in print, that you guys would recommend for uh, a new reader uh, who might not be aware of you? And you like, you know, this is a good introduction to the kind of stuff that I write. 
I don't know if there's an introductory point to my stuff. It, it's it's <laughs> it, all over. Everything's the, the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all twelve feet down. You know. Is your uh, is your X story online anywhere? Uh, yeah. It's Did you been, post it? Yeah, it's been online now. Okay. Yeah. That would probably be a good one. For I th I think that's a fairly good starting point. Uh, it's it's uh, aged very well. I'm I'm happy about that. Um, and I'd probably go through my my list of uh, published things and find the the more uh, I guess the the more general interest uh, kind of stuff uh, away from the will of the alpha and uh, the other things. The X, X is a good starting point. Maybe Fang uh, one two. Um, well, maybe not Fang One. That's a, yeah. Admit my, uh, well, X. Uh, the story is called uh, "Day Day et Machine." It's Latin. Machinae. Machinae. Sorry. And God and machine. It, there is uh, some uh, cybernetics going on. It's a uh, there's some religion in there. Some uh, finding finding oneself and uh, loss. And it's uh, people still come to me, and it's a pretty strong impact. Yeah, I've heard a lot of like people talk about that story to me, and like, oh, this moved me so hard. So yeah, yeah. Still, I'm still impressed with that. Many years later, and I, I take partial credit for putting together the <laughs> anthology that made you write it. But, um, but man, you knocked that one out of the park. And you know that was that was like the first time that it occurred to me that wow, I'm really good at this. Like. You, when when you told me that um, that you thought that I think that year was the the uh, Ursa Major Awards and and both of our stories were up there and you told me that you thought that I should have won, that was like, well shit. I mean this this is a thing now. I I, I can't have that imposter syndrome going on anymore. Like I've I've tried been to fight down all the time and uh, yeah. I mean this this was not a blip and it kept it fang one and two three and it kept going on and on and and. I don't know. Basically, my philosophy is I just keep doing stuff and I throw it to the wall, and if it sticks, it sticks, and uh, I just keep I'll keep on trying to uh, do the same the thing that I've been doing. I have a confession, which is I've been pretending to have imposter syndrome this whole time. <laughs> I was I was just going to say I'm I'm always worried that people will discover I don't actually have imposter syndrome. <laughs> I was trying to do your joke for you. How about, how about a starting point for you? I mean, I would hope that people would read God of Clay. You can do it for two bucks for like through the end of the month um, on Kindle or ebook. Um, but um, that's. I think everyone should read God of Clay. Everyone. All right, I'll read it. God. <laughs> especially Stop hassling me. Especially Jacoby. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm picking on him now because he doesn't have the microphone anymore. Like, <laughs> as much as anything I've, I've written, that's the song of my soul. So um, uh, I, w I would like people to read that. Cool. Do you have anything online that people could get for free and read? Um, <laughs> yes. Um, if you um, search for it and if you can't find it, um, hit me up on Twitter, not tube, and let me know. But there's a uh, story called The Non-Biodegradable Fox. Oh, I like um, that one. Which is the story of, it was in, appeared in, I think, the first New Fables. Yep. Um, and it's the story of a taxidermist having a conversation with the dead fox that he is stuffing. Not that way, you pervs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, one more question, if it's, a quick, if it's a quick one. Uh, everybody knows where to find my stuff. 
Go to kylegold.com. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I point people at Green Fairy because it's all ages, sort of PG-13-ish, and it's easy and accessible. But mostly when people say, where should I start with your work, there has to be a long question and answer about what kind of stories do you like mm -hmm. and what yeah, are you up for reading. Like and yeah, I, I, I jump around so much with different things. Like I've written an Agatha Christie murder mystery, and if you want something with a lot of gay you sex in it, I have a couple... Christy. Of those, if you want something that's like a farce, or if you want something that's romance, oh, whatever. I don't know. If people want to read my stuff, go to my website, kylegold.com, and under the books link, I have um, like blurbs of all the books that just go through them. You can go find samples on Amazon's Kindle store and read things. You can download my gold standard this free sample. This sounds like the disclaimer for a drug commercial blah, blah, blah. at this point. Yes, and uh, Kyle Gold stories may cost. Warning, Kyle, if you get an erection lasting more than 36 six hours, hours, please call a doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> Less major bleeding than other porn. Okay, one more hopefully quick. Okay, recently this is Reachin. And recently, there's been a discussion in the fandom about reviews and things like that. And you posted a blog post and you said, the best thing that you can do is suggest to your, make recommendations to your friends about the things that you have writ, read that you enjoy. Now, you guys just got finished plugging some of your stuff. So I would like you to plug someone else's stuff with the caveats, they cannot be in a relationship with you or related to you. Who would you suggest other people read? Do you count professional relationships? No. Okay. Um, and you can't be on the table either. I'm not on the table, I'm behind it. <laughs> um, so the most recent uh, winner of the Best Novel Coyote Award was Rukus's Off the Beaten Path. Um, I wrote a review of her book, Heretic, a while ago. Um, Off the Beaten Path is the first book in a trilogy, which is really good for a number of reasons. She does great characters. Um, she does a great job of things that people talk about in science fiction circles as far as expanding the world, expanding the stakes, expanding the, uh, the plot, keeping the plot moving. Um, from a technical standpoint, there are a few things in the prose where, you know, she, and that if, you, if you're looking for things to hold you up, they might hold you up, but if you just lose yourself in the story and plot, um, that trilogy is really good. That's my recommendation. I'm still thinking. <laughs> okay. So, um, free confession, I'm not reading a lot of free literature this time. I'm trying to catch up with uh, some of my uh, peers in the mainstream uh, science fiction uh, uh, and fantasy uh, community. Um, I have uh, people that I went to Clarion with that I would recommend. Uh, Nino Sipri. Uh, for example, in Haralambi Markov. Uh, <laughs> you might want to spell those. <laughs> okay, uh, easier is the, the name, their works, which is The Shape of My Name and The Language of Knives. They're, they're both great. <laughs> um, and that was, our, that was our warning, I think. But <laughs> I'm, reading, you know, I'm reading a lot of, of up-and-comers in that, in that community, such as Wesley Chu and Ramez Nam. Um, 
And, uh, you know, there's always Chuck Wendig who did uh, the recent Star Wars novel, Aftermath. Uh, you, can't, you can't go too wrong with that. Um, but whenever anyone asks me about that, I think of Ratatouille, which you have, which I, I think you know that movie, and I don't know if you enjoyed it or not. But a, little, a little story about cooking that <laughs> takes place in Paris with a furry character, yeah, maybe. But, might, but, <laughs> might have seen it once or 13 times. But there's a comment about criticism in it, which I think about every you know month or so, and I love. And, and if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll read again because yeah. Um, so this is the critic Anton Ego, his his criticism of the restaurant, which he knows is run by a rat, <laughs> at the end of the movie, and he says, "In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little." yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and fun to read. <laughs> but the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and the defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creation. The new needs friends. Last night, I experienced something new, an extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusteau's famous motto, anyone can cook, but I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not only can, not everyone can become a great cook, but a great artist can come from anywhere. And with that, I challenge you all to go out and find people that you love and defend the new, and be a friend to the new, and share it with the world. We should probably have ended with that, but White Yodi also <laughs> now has to make some... Do you have Great. recommendations yeah, yet? Yeah. That, was, that was lovely, well, by I, the way. I, I, I can't, uh, I can't uh, recommend my boyfriend, I guess, but I'm going Yes, to, you may. You should. I, I, I want to there. I yes. will, I will, because uh, he has... Uh, uh, he has I'll, also I'll been second his recommendation, so it's not so you know it's not just like boyfriend glasses. We, yeah. uh, you know, we keep each other's stuff in check. We find the stuff that, uh, on, upon you know the first reading, that we, uh, it just you can read something and read it again and read it again, and then you read it with him in the room, and all of a sudden, oh, I didn't see any of this stuff because you know you're biased to your own work. But he's been in heat and. Uh, a couple of fangs, and uh, also within the Will of the Alpha too, and a couple of other things that uh, I wasn't able to get in for different reasons. But uh, I would like to point out that the thing, the story that I remember of his most was in the anthology Plowed, which you are also in, and I, I, your two stories were two of the better parts of that anthology for me. Not to offend anyone else who had a story in there, but I thought. Your story specifically, um, as Ryan was saying, took a lot of chances and went places that it didn't need to go and wasn't expected to go and pulled it off very well. And 
Tim's story also surprised me um, with where he went with his story. So, uh, it's uh, his, his, his uh, author name is Tim Green, G R E E N E, um, F A T Y M. It's T Y M Green, and you know my F A is just white Yodi on uh, uh, you know F A. All all four of those websites. It's basically the same uh, uh, caps lock, notwithstanding. Um, if I had to recommend two other people, um, right at the top of my head, uh, Hawk Wolf uh, came to my mind first because there are not a whole lot of stories that leave a lasting impact on me um, emotionally. And his story in uh, Will of the Alpha One was the one after mine. So that, that's an indication of how gritty and the, the, the concept was so... I wish I could have done that or thought of that first. And he did it so well. Um, it's immediate. It is. It is uh, in your face, and it's very, uh, uh, very vivid. And you just feel the thing all the way through. And if I had to recommend someone else, I would recommend Candrel, uh, um, uh, specifically uh, on the Bright Beach. Um, it's a. It's a nice take on uh, uh, like aug augmented reality or uh, relationships across distances and uh, perception. And also one of those things I wish I uh, could have thought first if all these other things weren't in my head. But, um, you know, I don't really often finish a story and I'm like, wow, cool. That happened. Uh, but those were two uh, particular memories. And so I just want to pass that along cool. for those guys. Um, I'm going to, I'm, since I went first, I'm going to toss two more names out that I thought of. One from the science fiction community. Um, Sophia Samatar, Sophia with an F, Samatar with all A's, uh, is terrific. Um, she was nominated for a Hugo, I think, for her story, Selkie Stories Are for Losers, which is, which is amazing. <laughs> um, her story in the anthology Kaleidoscope, which I was published in, was my favorite story in that anthology, and it was one of those that, uh, that like your your thing, you read through the story, the story's called Watchdog, and you just read through it, and at the beginning you're like, where is this? And like, oh, 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 and it's so gorgeous all the way through. Um, and in the furry fandom, Rob Baird publishes mostly on So Furry these days. Um, he's an excellent writer. Um, I, I admit I've read a f only a few of his stories, but um, his concepts and the way he challenges um, status quo and, and just thinks about everything um, makes him really engaging to talk to and I think more people should read his stuff including me um, so so we're, we're going to close it down there thank you guys so much for coming out here on a Saturday night um, thank you Rainforest and thank you Rainforest for scheduling this at 8 o'clock <laughs> instead of 10 o'clock so there's still time for people to go dancing tonight and drinking and drinking um, <laughs> And um, let's see. Thank you to Buck for providing the technical expertise and the equipment and the time. Yes, thank um, you so much. <laughs> without whom this podcast literally could not have happened. Um, and thank you to White Yodi for agreeing to sit here with us and yammer into a microphone. Thank you, as always, to my eloquent and lovely co-host, not tube. And thank you to my eloquent <laughs> and handsome co-host. <laughs>
Um, this is so. This is our podcast. We hope that you will be back next year and uh, look forward to seeing you guys then. Thank you all so much. Thank you.